It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Aloha and happy Aloha Friday. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise. Yanji, good to see you. It's been a few <laughs> days since we've been together again uh both took, took some time off but we are back and uh this morning we'll be catching up with someone else who uh, has been on the show a few times that's right we are catching up with uh president david lassner lots to talk about with the session going on a lot of budget requests happening and also a lot of exciting things happening across all of the campuses uh thanks so much for being here today sir my pleasure my pleasure great to see you all again so I want to start off with uh, some of the controversy. We want to just address it and then move on uh, that you've been experiencing coming from lawmakers. There have been some back and forths, uh, some high profile lawmakers questioning your leadership style and perhaps questioning your tenure overall. On the other side, you had the congressional delegation coming your t to your defense, along with the governor and others. Uh, tell us sort of how you receive that criticism and your response to it. Yeah, it um, came as a, a bit of a surprise. I, I mean, I know there have been questions by um, some senators about, you know, specific issues that they've had uh, with me, with some of our other leaders around the university. But, um, you know, it was a Super Bowl Sunday surprise uh, that came out a couple of days beforehand when we realized what would be coming out in the media. Um, you know, the calls for my resignation. I was really gratified at the support from, you know, certainly our congressional delegation, the governor, other leaders. And, and I'll just say more than anyone, um, I've been surprised at how many people in the community have really um, spoken up and pulled me aside and thanked me for my work and what I'm doing. Um, I, I'm not going to say I'm glad this happened, but um, there has certainly been a lot of community support expressed to me personally. Um, that said, I, I mean, I take the criticism seriously. Uh, some of it was specific and some of it was general. Um, I think the idea that um, I've been there too long, I'm, I'm not particularly um, accepting of that criticism. I think uh, institutions are difficult to re-aim and uh, something as complicated and stable as the University of Hawaii doesn't turn on a dime. And sometimes it takes some time to make changes and changes are not always popular. Uh, that said, to the extent there are specific questions and, you know, one of the senators has talked pretty frankly with me about issues and we've talked about them. Uh, another one has, you know, expressed them not so much directly to me, but in hearings and to uh, colleagues, and I'm, you know, prepared to talk through any specific issues. But more than anything, I could say my response is I'm I'm really proud of what we've done. I mean, UH is in a great place. Um, we pulled through the pandemic, in my opinion, as well as any institution in the state. Um, our students continue to th thrive. Our faculty and staff turned on a dime to go online. We continue to graduate students. Our you know, particularly at UH Manoa, we've had the two largest freshman classes in our history the last two years. 
Our other campuses um, are more variable, but certainly tracking national trends and doing as well as national averages and enrollment. But collectively, we're continuing to serve the state of Hawaii record year in philanthropy, record year in extramural funding. And those are system accomplishes, accomplishments um, of all 10 of our campuses working together for the people of Hawaii across the islands. You know, and I have to ask with that criticism, obviously it makes for an interesting dynamic for yourself, especially right now during the legislation, legislative session when you're having to go in front of some of these uh, who criticize you uh, and, and defending your budget. How do you think that that criticism has impacted uh, any of the budget requests that the university has? Do you feel like there is any personal vendettas or uh, personal attacks that may, you know, the, the opinion of you may impact the university as a whole as you lobby for requests for specific fundings and for money for the university as a whole? Well, I'd say I'm not going out of my way to put myself in front of the three senators. Um, I'm certainly not avoiding them. I was at the Ways and Means hearing yesterday and all three of them we're there. It's chaired by one of them. Um, it's hard to interpret exactly what the public announcement was yesterday, but it appears, you know, UH still has budget challenges with the Senate in particular. And so, you know, we'll try to work through those both with the Senate, uh, with the House in conference as well. Um, I'm not going to say that it's all personal, but, you know, it doesn't help to have three very powerful senators um, who have expressed their antipathy to my leadership in the primary decision making positions for the university's budget. Let's talk about that budget. I think that the public may not be aware of exactly how the funding works. And there were some changes through the pandemic, through COVID and some adjustments that were made. Uh, can you tell us just sort of baseline what you're asking for this session and uh, and sort of how that's going? Sure. We um, we we had a, you know, as is typical, we have a long list of specifics and I'll just summarize it into three categories. Um, so we're in currently in the um, FY 22-23 fiscal year that ends June 30th. Um, we have a pretty stable budget, uh, but there were cuts made early in the pandemic when we all thought that the, you know, the state would be in a financial catastrophe. Um, that turned out not to be the case. Most of the state budget was restored for most agencies, but for UH, our uh, full budget was restored only for this fiscal year. So our highest priority is actually to keep the level of funding that we have now, that because of the way the restoration was done for this year, that amount of money ends, which is a little over 24 million per year, that amount will disappear on July 1, if not restored. Um, so we're looking at what um, the Senate did ye announced yesterday. We have not seen the worksheets yet, but from the choice of words, it appears that a fair amount of that funding was restored again, only for one more year, rather than as part of our ongoing, what we call our base budget. So our highest priority is really to stabilize our current funding, which would be as simple as keeping our budget flat with what we have this year moving forward. Um, our second priority is the expansion of the Hawaii Promise Program. Um, Hawaii is one of the states that does not have a tradition of a strong, what I'll call a state scholarship program. 
So our students who get scholarships, it either comes from uh, campus tuition dollars that are redistributed to students with need uh, primarily. Uh, it also comes from the UH Foundation, the money we raise, and from other private sources. And of course, federal uh, grants, Pell Grants in particular, are the largest source of financial aid for our students. We built a successful program in the community colleges. We purposely started there um, about four or five years ago, and we've requested funding to expand that program to our uh, universities as well. This is a need-based financial aid program that would be funded by the state, uh, and it would include, if we are successful, all 10 of our campuses, rather than just our seven community colleges. So the House and the Senate have taken different positions. Uh, the Senate yesterday, again, the verbal remarks, uh, we haven't seen the worksheet, worksheets, uh, would indicate the Senate is not uh, choosing to extend that program to the universities. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And our third priority was really um, around areas of workforce shortage for the state. This is part of our strategic plan. And I think last time I was with you, I talked through our strategic plan. So I'm a wind up toy that I won't do that again. But one of those uh, four imperatives is to address workforce shortages. And we particularly were looking at healthcare workforce shortages uh, with initiatives across multiple campuses. And we're hoping we're able to get some support basically to hire more faculty and do that work um, around all of the islands. You know, as you balance uh, these budget issues and, and re restoration of these funds to continue to get it to baseline, but also noting that there are other initiatives and things that the university would like to undertake. Uh, there is also just talk of, of tuition and increases, but we knew that the, we know that the Board of Regents has also made it a priority to freeze tuitions. If you can speak more about how that factors in when you're budgeting, uh, you yeah. know, and looking for funding overall. So we have, um, yeah, thank you. Um, the university, you know, go back 30 years, we were 100% operationally funded by general funds from the state. In the 90s, and this was part of the um, Economic Revitalization Task Force, members appointed by the speaker, the Senate president, and the governor, that was chaired by Walter Dodds, members, thumbs up Hawaii, um, and one of their in, uh, recommendations was to move the university to become, they use the word autonomous, more autonomous, but I, I don't really like that word. It's probably not the best word, uh, but um, more self-reliant. And the cornerstone of that was to give us a lot more self-determination over our operations, let us hire our own attorneys, let us run our procurement, do our own construction. But financially, the cornerstone was to have us keep our tuition. And up until about 1995-96, all of the tuition we collected went back to the state general fund. So we moved from a fully state-supported to a mixed funding uh, metric. And what happened after that, although um, the state law was pretty clear that the tuition was not intended to replace the general funds, but to allow growth beyond what general funds could provide. Um, what happened is that in times of recession, we've pretty consistently been cut, and then the university has had to respond by raising tuition. Um, what the Board of Regents decided this year was we will not respond to financial challenges by raising our tuition rates. Um, we need to find other sources of revenue. So we can do that by increasing enrollment, 
Uh, that has been the case certainly at UH Manoa, where we've increased enrollment, including non-resident students who pay a higher rate of tuition than our resident students. We're also looking at ramping up philanthropy. We had the best philanthropic year in our history last year. We're looking up at ramping up our extramural funding. It doesn't uh, support our daily operations, but it helps us hire um, faculty, staff who are solving some of Hawaii's thorniest problems. Um, this morning I was at an event where um, a young man who started his own business in aquaponics and uh, hydroponics was supported by research grants as a PhD student in CTAR, College of Tropical Ag at UH Manoa. And what he learned there while supported by our extramural funding is what is enabling them to create great business. And he's looking at how to hire people. So we want to be more diverse. And we're looking at our research um, real estate portfolio as well as, a, as another source of funding. But we do count on that state, state support, especially in areas of state need. Yeah. And, it, you know, talking about having to go every year and ask for this restoration of funding, was it like that pre-pandemic? You have to forgive my ignorance on how this process actually works. Well, prior to the pandemic, our base funding was considered pretty stable. And most of the discussion was about, um, you know, new programs and whether the legislature would want to support new program initiatives. I think within UH, we've tried to shift from going in and asking for onesies and twosies and single positions in single departments to create initiatives around areas of state need. And we believe those are the things that the taxpayers of Hawaii should support with general funds. And that's why we focused it on things like scholarships for students with financial need, um, healthcare workforce. I hope that next year we can look at education workforce and you know, to say simply, what do we have to do to eliminate the teacher shortage in our public schools over you know, some small number of years? And I think collectively we can do that across the, the UH system, um, working with the Department of Education. Another headline that uh, you know, many have been paying attention to has been the search for a new athletic director. Uh, as you have put together a selection committee, there was some criticism about the criteria for those who could apply and would meet the qualifications. There was also some criticism about the, those who were selected to be on this selection committee. What can you tell us about the process thus far and your response to some of the criticism around this process in looking for a new athletic director for the University of Hawaii at Manoa? Yeah, so let me dismiss the super easy one first, which is there is a list of qualifications that are you know, along the lines of gee, maybe you should know something about intercollegiate athletics and have experience doing that because it's a hard and complicated job. Many days I wake up and think that's the second hardest job in the University of Hawaii, um, given the expectations of community members and the opinions of community members and leaders. Um, but as we do for almost every position in the university, after listing the qualifications, we say something like, or any equivalent combination of knowledge and experience. So we're not closing the door to an unconventional candidate, but we would need to understand how will that person succeed in what, and you know, you know something about this, Ryan, um, intercollegiate athletics is going through the greatest transformation literally in its history. And um, it's not business as usual, but somebody has to understand those forces if we're going to navigate through them, you know, 
2,200 miles from any other athletic department in major division one athletic department um, in the country. So we're looking for a great leader, no question. And we are open to skills and qualifications that will be up to the job. So the, now the committee, um, I appointed a committee. I wanted it relatively small and nimble. Uh, the committee is not making the selection. Um, I, and I read in the media that why am I punting to a committee? I'm not punting to a committee. I'm asking them to assess the applications. Typically, we get large numbers of applications for these positions. Um, that is no different. They screen them. They decide who to do preliminary interviews with. And their job is to um, interview the best candidates they have and provide me with a list of finalists that they think I should consider with an, an unranked list, I should say, with strengths and weaknesses then I will meet with those finalists. And it's my job to make a recommendation. Ultimately, I'm accountable uh, for the success of the next athletic director. I will make a recommendation to the Board of Regents who will have to approve my recommendation. Um, and that will take place at a public meeting. Um, I thought uh, the committee I appointed was amazing. Um, it was criticized by some for being too small. It was criticized by some for I mean, there is a belief, and I have heard it in the community. None of these people say this to my face, I will tell you. But there's criticism that I have pre-selected someone and I appointed a committee to get that person the job. That is simply false. Um, my success is in having the best athletic director we can have. And that's the success of the whole program and it's the success of every fan in the state. It does me no good to have pre-selected anyone before I even know who's willing to apply for the job. Um, there was um, some inaccuracy, the petition that was circulated um, and dropped off at my office um, um, said there were no Polynesians. We had a, you know, a Kamehameha School graduate. Last time I checked, Hawaii is part of Polynesia. Um, so that was simply false. Uh, I will acknowledge there was nobody um, who was deeply steeped in football. I accepted that criticism. And um, a UH faculty member actually in CTAR, of all places, recommended to me Ashley Lilly, who is, you know, was a superstar here, played in the NFL, has coached, was a team manager here, has coached in colleges on the mainland has come back and is currently in school. And like the young man I met this morning is, you know, working in agriculture and he's um, got an egg farm now that he's trying to do. So he's a perfect example of the kind of um, young person that we produce through our athletics program. He's a Radford High School graduate and I'm thrilled that he agreed to join the committee and um, he's participating along with the others who are, you know, have different kinds of experiences. Um, two of our great coaches, we have many, um, a Supreme Court justice. These are not people who are going in biased and unfair. Uh, they all want a great athletic director for our program. I want to ask you a little bit more about the process. Do you know how many folks at this point have applied? Um, how many of those finalists, how many, you know, how many of those will become finalists? How many names are you expecting to have to choose from? And in choosing, um, 
what are some specific qualifications you're looking for? Do you want this person to be someone who is from Hawaii, someone who already has ties to the university? Do you want a fresh face that is from out of state? Sort of what are you looking for? Um, and when do you expect to make that recommendation to the Board of Regents? So uh, the list is, um, I'll say, um, many tens of applicants. Um, I do not know how many finalists I will get. Um, I'm leaving that to the committee. It is often in the range of five, but you know, this, my experience hiring a lot of people is um, pools have a personality their own. So if you say I want three and there are four great ones, um, I want to see all four. If you say there, are, I want seven and there are five great ones, then give me five. So, you know, that's the kind of number, you know, probably less than 10 that I would expect to come forward. Um, I think it would be hard to succeed if you have no knowledge of intercollegiate athletics, because that is what this job is. Um, I think it would be hard to succeed if you have no ties or understanding of Hawaii, but those ties can come in many ways. Um, so I don't want to prejudge what that means, but we're, um, you know, we're a unique community here. Um, and um, it's, there are many jobs in Hawaii that are very high profile that when we bring people in from outside who don't have pretty deep connections, they don't succeed. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think you all can think of those examples as well as I can. And I'm the timing. Oh, sorry, right? <laughs> timing. Uh, my goal is to um, make a recommendation to the Board of Regents at their May meeting. Got it. Well, the next athletic director will also be involved with uh, what's happening with Aloha Stadium. And uh, there is still a lot of confusion. And, and really, there is uh, just a lot of uncertainty around the project as a whole. Uh, how much is the University of Hawaii involved in the conversations of where things are at right now? And uh, what do you see the University for Hawaii's role being uh, as this can hopefully gets moving forward uh, and, and begins its, you know, beyond just this initial phase? So the university, um, so by, by law, the University of Hawaii president or designee is a member of the stadium authority. Uh, it's a non-voting seat. Um, for many years, decades, the University of Hawaii president was not invited to participate in executive sessions. Um, and most of the work to develop um, what I'll call the, I'll just call it the previous model um, that was done by the stadium authority, working with their consultants and DAGs, primarily in their executive sessions where they shaped that and made the decisions. Um, so, I, I mean, I know a lot about this. I'll try to be very brief. Uh, people who are interested, I gave a long explanation to the Board of Regents uh, at the meeting last month. Um, but the state was only putting in $170 million into the project. And the, uh, that was not enough to build the stadium that anybody wanted. Uh, so the, the model that was developed was to have a private partner borrow money, maintain the stadium, and then the revenue to support that borrowing and maintenance of that stadium would have come from the ancillary real estate development alongside the stadium, which was going to be a separate RFP with a separate um, private partner, maybe the same, but a separate selection process. What changed last session was um, the state decided to put in 350 million instead of the 170 in bonds plus 49.5 million in cash. So that changed the dynamics. And in addition, 
the legislature moved the stadium authority from DAGs to DBED. So a whole new set of players. Governor Ige wanted to do something different, um, uh, did not agree to go with the previous plan, which was predicated on the 170 million, but didn't get a new plan through. New administration has come in. My opinion is their approach is more similar to what Governor Ige was trying to do, but didn't have time to accomplish at the end of his term. Uh, there are lots of meetings taking place. Um, I am optimistic that a consensus will be reached on, it will be a public-private partnership, but a different public-private partnership than you know the previous one. And we'll have to wait to see what emerges. Um, the heavy-duty players are the, you know, the House, the Senate, the administration, the stadium authority. The university is not in a leadership position. But we are now, I'm happy to say, the stadium authority includes us in executive session. I participated. Um, I couldn't yesterday, but I did participate a week earlier in a special meeting of the stadium authority in the executive session. I can't disclose you know, the discussion, but that is the reason for my optimism. So how long do you expect to have to continue to play at the Ching Athletic Complex, given the pace of this project? Well, um, yeah, so what I would say is um, the current plan um, would have had us there probably for the until the 2027 season. Um, it is, you know, a change may cause a delay. So I think for UH, um, we're proceeding to make sure we have 15,000 seats so we can satisfy uh, both NCAA and Mountain West expectations until there's a new stadium. We still consider that to be temporary. Um, we don't know, you know, exactly when a new project would come to fruition. Uh, the process might be delayed, uh, but there are elements of it that might make it go faster as well. So we'll just have to see how that goes. You know, I, um, I care deeply about UH and our football program and where we play, but I also care deeply about the state of Hawaii and the financial conditions. And I think um, both Governor Ige and Governor Green have been concerned about the financial obligations that, you know, the original plan would have put on the state of Hawaii um, would have been significant. And I hope there is a solution that doesn't require as much from the state in addition to the 350 million, you know, basically 400 million total that's already in public funding that's been committed. You know, we only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to just kind of broadly talk about a narrative that we're hearing throughout the country, and that is that college is not necessary, uh, that there is so much demand for the workforce that people can just leave high school and, and enter the workforce and that college isn't necessarily a requirement in a lot of industries or needed anymore. Uh, how do you battle against that narrative while also trying to highlight what the University of Hawaii can do through events that might help to make people believe otherwise? Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, so the the narrative is mostly based on anecdotes. The data suggests that 65 to 75 percent of the jobs in this country, and especially the good paying jobs, will require some post-secondary education or training. So often when I read these articles, it, somebody says, I don't need to go to college. I'm going to go to community college. Well, that's great. And that's post-secondary education, too, or trade school. So what I'd say is um, it is very hard to be successful with only a high school diploma. There are many jobs that you can get with just trade school 
or a community college certificate or degree. And I'm thrilled for people who get those, but many of the best paying jobs require education beyond that. And what our opportunity is as the University of Hawaii system is to get everybody into pretty good paying jobs as quickly as possible and then provide them the opportunities to advance in their careers or change careers while they are earning throughout the workforce. And so tomorrow we're gonna have a few thousand people um, on the UH Manoa campus for the UH Manoa experience. Um, kids, parents, elementary school students, free parking if you register. So we'd love to see everybody there at UH Manoa tomorrow. UH West Oahu did something very similar a few months ago where they got kids from all of the high schools in their region onto the campus to see what it's like. But we've really got to create a stronger college going culture as a nation and as a state. And we are partnering deeply with Keith Hayashi and his team at the Department of Education to try and get people into the workforce as quickly as possible, especially those who need to support their families, but then get them the education they need for really good paying jobs that can support them and their families in Hawaii for their full um, thriving lifetimes. Yeah, and as Ryan did say, we are out of time, but I do wanna uh, ask you just again about the Manoa experience that's happening tomorrow for folks who actually wanna come on campus. How do they do so? And, and what do you hope they get out of just being there physically? What do you hope so that does Google Manoa them? experience, 10 to two tomorrow on campus, um, free parking if you register, and um, they will get to meet over 130 different UH programs, everything from admission and financial aid and advising, to all of our colleges and departments and the programs that they operate um, to really help um, students advance in their lives and be successes here in Hawaii. Okay, well, UH President David Lassner, thanks so much for spending time with us here on this Friday and giving us an update of all the things that are happening in the University of Hawaii system. We also appreciate your time and uh, just updates on what's happening. Thanks so much. Thanks, I appreciate the time and it was a great half hour. Aloha. Aloha. Always great to hear from UH President David Lassner. We talked about a lot of issues. Uh, he addressed the controversy that he's experienced from some lawmakers at the state legislature head on right at the top of our conversation. If you missed any part of this program, remember you can always watch it later as a podcast or watch it from the beginning after we finish the live stream. Um, but Ryan, I thought it was very interesting. You know, We did hear, of course, from the congressional delegation and the governor and others uh, sort of countering that narrative, saying that the, pre the UH president has done an excellent job. He himself saying that he's gotten a lot of community support through this process and also talking about you know, how this makes the dynamic challenging when he is going to lawmakers right now trying to battle for funding for the university system. And specifically seeing it on those who have criticized him, which has only come from the Senate. And so uh, there is some concern by the university about how the current budget, the University of Hawaii budget is within the Ways and Means uh, Committee, which is in the Senate, as opposed to maybe what's happening on the House side and how important the conferencing uh, portion of the legislative session will be for the University of Hawaii to hopefully get some of that restoration funding back that happened during COVID-19 that sort of changed the dynamics of how the university was funded and hoping to restore some of those uh, budgetary procedures and, and of course funding as a whole, uh, hoping that that gets restored to the way that it was pre-pandemic, but also fighting for funding uh, in, in a number of areas where the University of Hawaii uh, constantly and consistently has to go back to the legislature to ask for more money, but definitely creating an interesting dynamics in the way things are playing out uh, with the University of Hawaii, having to go in front of those three senators that have criticized Lassner uh, during this process. 
Yeah, and and very interesting to hear about that change during COVID. It's something that I wasn't aware of. I'm guessing many in our audience didn't know that as well. That um, you know that a lot of departments, of course, naturally cut during COVID, but then having to come back and ask for that same baseline funding every year, year after year, uh, does create a, you know a struggle for the university that they have to you know spend a lot of time advocating for what is just operational funding. Um, also interesting to hear him talk about the search for the athletic director, how he put that committee together and the next steps when it comes to replacing David Matlin. And really addressing some of the narratives that have been going around around town about how uh, you know, the UH president may have created this committee and the selection criteria because he had someone in mind that he sort of wants to essentially put into this position saying, uh, hey, I want the best athletic director who is qualified, who's going to meet the criteria, who's going to help us. There is no one in his mind that he is pre-selected to fill that role and wants to allow this uh, committee to help him weed through this process. It ultimately, as he clarified, will come down to his decision, but really relying on the committee to help filter through and, and really get give their thoughts and insights into who they think should be leading the university. So those finalists will be given uh, to the UH president for him to ultimately make that decision and have someone in place, he hopes, by May, but also seeing how that uh, will also play a critical role in what happens with Aloha Stadium. Yeah, that is still something that is ongoing and being discussed. This this administration, of course, taking over this project and trying to figure out uh, how to manage it, how to fund it, what to do with the funding that the legislature has granted, and then leverage that uh, so that it can be something that does not bankrupt us going forward. This is a huge project uh, and something that will cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, David Lassner did tell us that he, you know, UH is now allowed an executive session, and that does make a difference because they are being brought to the table. But clarifying that you know they do, they are not an authority on this, they do not have decision making power. Uh, they are just part of that conversation, but really they don't get to decide. So in the meantime, uh, they are going to have to continue to use uh, the Clarence uh, the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletic Complex, uh, expanding that out so that it does meet those requirements put on by the Mountain West and NCAA, uh, getting to that 15,000 and using it, you know, at least he said until 2027. Yeah, a lot too uh, that we covered here this morning. So I want to encourage you to go back and watch the interview as a whole. On Monday, we will be heading to the fifth floor of the state capitol and catching up with Lieutenant Governor Sylvia Luke. Uh, there is a lot of initiatives, of course, that the Lieutenant Governor has adopted uh, on her own and trying to push forth, including early childhood education and those efforts there, uh, as well as overall being the a, you know, a broker between the fifth floor and the legislature and working directly with some of her former colleagues in both the House and Senate. And so we'll be getting an update on how the legislative process has been going for this new administration and specifically the role that the lieutenant governor has, has been playing in this process. We look forward to that conversation. We thank you so much for joining us here on this Aloha Friday. Have a great weekend. We'll see you right back here on Monday. Aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long Strugs.